Hey everybody, welcome to the Slick Tree Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Langford. The point of this show is to help improve ourselves as dogmen and to raise the quality of the dogs on the end of our lead. So let's settle in, turn the volume up, and let's see if we can't learn a trick or two together from our guests. Hey everybody, I'm Colby Langford and you are listening to the Slick Tree Podcast. Today I'm here with John Prince of Prince's Quality Gun Dogs outside of Pittsburgh, Kansas. And uh, come up here to talk with John about some bird dogs. How you doing today, John? Alright, Colby, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Good. Uh, John, let's just jump right in and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into hunting with dogs. Well, I started uh, raising and training short hairs, German short hairs back in 1990. I met a guy... Uh, he'd asked me, he said, you ever hunt behind a short hair before? And I said, nope. And so we got together and he took me over to his house and he had uh, already had a few short hairs, but he had bought a little female out of Texas, white liver female out of Texas, and her name was Tootie. And uh, I walked over there and uh, he had some quail in a cage up off the ground. And he turned little Tootie loose and boy, she went out there and bam, locked up on point. And she was looking up at the birds. She was sight pointing, but she was locked up on them birds. I mean, really intensely and stuff. And uh, I just fell in love. I was smitten. And uh, from that point on, I, I said, man, I've got to do this. And uh, from there, I ended up working out a deal with him on that Tootie dog. I literally went over to his house, painted a one and a half story house, a wooden fence, and a wooden shed for that dog. So that's how you got your start in it, huh? That's how I got my start. So did you end up breeding her later? Or? Yeah, I actually worked out a deal with him also. Uh, since he was familiar with the business and had a, a source, you know, he had a direct son at a Dixieland Rusty, which was a field champion. And a lot of people don't know this. The old timers know this. But Dixieland Rusty was the all-time top producer of field champions in GSP history. Uh, he was really a great producer. And so he had a direct son of him. And the deal was is that... Let's, when Tootie gets of age, let's take her and breed her to your dog. You sell the puppies. I get half the money. You take the other half. And uh, back then, he sold them for $350 a piece. And that was a lot of money back then. And uh, I literally took that money and built my first kennel. We built a six-dog run, uh, port a pad, bought the kennels uh, all from that money. The proceeds, I ended up keeping one pup out of that, which turned out to be a Prince's Amazing Grace. She had some good old bloodlines in her, like Coonass and Boss Man and, uh, of course, Dixieland Rusty and White Man, you know, field champions back in the day. A lot of things that, like I said, uh, uh, people don't even know about those bloodlines and stuff today. But those are the, kind of the lines that I started with. So I actually came back here today to breed a, a female that I'd bought from you as a puppy three years ago. And then I ended up bringing back for uh, your training program. Yep. She has just been an absolute pleasure to, to hunt and be around in general. Thank you. Uh, I've been very impressed with her as long as far as everybody. I know a handful of people that have bought dogs from you as pup. I haven't heard anybody say anything but great things about any of them or you as far as that goes. Which coming from you just telling the story of how your kennel got started to what it looks like now. And uh, what, what can you tell us about your short hair operation? As far as my dogs go, I breed for natural ability. 
I want dogs to come on at a very early age. I believe that a person should be able to hunt their dog at a, at a very early age and, you know, not wait for a year or one and a half or two years or whatever. I believe in having natural retrievers. Now, that being said, you're not going to get every dog to be a natural retriever, but I have kept the best of the best of the best over all these years, these genetics, all natural retrievers, snake eyes, Prince Snake Eyed Romeo was 100% natural retriever. Uh, one of the early dogs in, in my kennel was Prince's Eye Saw the Light. He was a direct son of Stradivarius Broke and 100% natural retriever would track and trail running birds, had a strong nose. I ran a lot of uh, walking trials with him back in the day. He won a lot of trials and or at least placed in a lot of trials. He produced a lot of dogs that were phenomenal dogs, master champions, stuff like that. But more than anything, what I'm getting at here is Solly was 100% natural. He took literally no training. He learned everything in the field, even the woe command. He learned it in the field. Princess Snake-Eyed Romeo, uh, again, was a uh, 100% uh, natural retriever. He was so natural that I could literally turn him loose out here in the field in front of a client. I'd only do it with a client. But he'd be out there running around hunting, and I could take a set of keys out of my pocket, throw them out in the grass, and I'd say, watch this. And I'd call him in, dead, 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 and he'd find those keys and bring them to me every time. Now I've got a dog by Prince's Ramblin' Man, is his name. And, you know, man is 100% natural in and out of water uh, as far as retrieving goes. Strong, 50-yard nose, not all the time, uh, you know, consistently, you know, 15, 20-yard points and stuff. But I've seen him point, you know, at 50, 60 yards. Uh, Snake Eyes was the same way. And Solly probably didn't quite point that far. Uh, but again, he had a really good nose, and again, he could track and trail. So those are all traits that I'm looking for. The natural retrieve, the strong nose, the style. Uh, all these dogs had high tails, which is something I'm looking for also. Nice heads. There's a lot of dogs out there and stuff, and, you know, they're all great dogs. But I've got particular things that I am looking for that I'm passing down in generation, from generation to generation, uh, to get the kind of dogs that I want. And the good thing about it, with me having all of this experience over all these years, is that I am actually my client's eyes and knowledge, if you will. Because the things that I'm liking, that's then going to be passed on down to you guys. So, again, natural ability is huge. Early coming on is huge. Uh, I can go on into, you know, these puppies and stuff, shooting birds over these puppies that, you know, some of them as early as three and a half months of age, some even earlier, not a lot. You don't see that a lot. And a lot of people will never do that. I get it because, again, your philosophy is different. But, again, I'm here to make bird dogs. I'm here for just the average guy mainly. I do cater to some field trialers. But overall, I would say my business caters to mostly hun hunters. Touching on the training part aspect, uh what advice would you give someone that was new to training bird dogs and was just, and was just getting into it? I know that you're a big believer in birds make bird dogs. Uh, can you touch on that a little bit? I'd say for the average guy, most people aren't going to be able to, you know, probably use as many birds as I do. We've got three flight pins here that are 84 foot long, so we're able to hold a lot of birds, chuckers and quail. Of course, we've got 100 pigeons that we keep in the pigeon house as well. And the pigeons are renewable to me. In other words, they fly back every time. We don't do anything with the pigeons, you know. 
we get the dogs holding the way we want, then we go straight to shooting birds, and they are either quail or chuckers. You know, we don't put pressure, a lot of pressure on dogs. In the early stages, it's it's got to be fun. You know, these puppies that are four, four and a half months of age that we're shooting birds over stuff, it's just literally letting them learn on their own. But it's through bird contact is how they're learning. So they're learning how to use their nose. In the beginning, you know, they don't know how to use their nose. So after bird, after bird, after bird, they're, you know, they're sight pointing in the beginning. Next thing you know, they start graduating to using that nose. Next thing you know, they're, they're scent pointing. Next thing you know, we're shooting birds over them. Then we have to go ahead and call our conditioner here, break them. But from there, you know, we don't put any real pressure on them until they're at least around seven to eight months of age, depending on the individual. Because the biggest thing in dog training, in my opinion, is about reading the dog. Letting the dog tell you what he or she is ready for next, rather than you trying to determine that. So a huge thing in dog training is being able to read a dog. If you can't do that, then I would suggest you find a professional, uh, something if, you know, everybody's made for different things. If, you know, I'm not good at being an electrician, you know, so electrician wouldn't be good at maybe training a dog. So we all have our expertise. That's what makes the world go around. I try to make this podcast to help people that, as a wide range, people that maybe are just getting into it to maybe something even a seasoned dog hunter that's trained a lot of their own dogs would could benefit from uh there's a reoccurring thing that i've seen happen a bunch where people will describe exactly what you're talking about as far as not putting too much pressure on a dog and making sure that they're ready for it what are some specific things that you're actually looking for a dog to do to see that they're ready like could you give some examples of of something if maybe you're putting too much pressure on a dog with the way that dog may react yeah okay let's say for example you know and again everybody's philosophy is different so you know some people you know trainers or whatever uh you know they might have a completely different philosophy than mine but again you know i'm here to you know produce quality i'm here to give my clients hopefully the best dog they've ever owned that's what my goal is and by doing so you again you've got to be able to read these dogs and let's say for example introduction to the shot okay when these pups are little you know, they've got to, you know, again, they be hunting their own birds and stuff like that. When they're chasing their birds and stuff, we use a blank pistol. And then the very beginning, I start with the lightest blank. All throughout this introduction, I start with the lightest blank. Now, again, in my facility, these pups are hearing shots all the time. Dogs barking, pans pounding on the concrete. So they've kind of got an introduction anyways. But when you go to introduce a dog to the shot, it should be, you know, there, different people use different things. I mean, you can use two-by-fours clapped together. You know, it's great if you've got some help. But again, I use a blank pistol. I use the lightest crimp there is. We make sure that they're chasing a bird, so we'll get a clipped wing bird, a quail, preferably, depending on how small your puppy is. So the puppy is chasing the bird, the pups, or, or the bird's making noise, and then when the pup's mind is 100% focused on the bird, then I'll fire the blank and I'll use it behind my back and I muffle it low to the ground behind my back. Now as time goes on, you, you graduate. Everything is a graduation to me. So I graduate from kindergarten, first grade to second grade. So as the pup starts showing no reaction, because that's what you're looking for is no reaction. So as the pup starts 
going on after the bird or whatever, then you can raise it, literally raise it in the, in the air and boom, you're just shooting. So once you get through all that, then there comes a point in time when you've got to graduate to a gun. Now, I use a 20 gauge, you know, uh, some people, if you've got a 410 or something, start off again, everything is a graduation. So, you know, when that pup, eventually we're ready, we're ready to go ahead and get that pup, you know, on birds and chasing, it's already got all the pre-work done. So next thing you know, we've got a bird on the ground, the, you know, I throw the bird on the ground, for example, the pup chases it, boom. Next thing you know, there's no reaction to the shot, pup grabs the bird, you know, and he brings it back to you, you know, and this is, you know, once you've here broke your pup and he knows what he's supposed to be doing. And some people want their dogs, you know, steady wing shot, you know, and all this other stuff, and that's fine. But again, I'm talking for bird hunters because it's typically not, you know, steady wing and shot through the flush and the fall and all that other stuff is not really conducive to a lot of bird hunters because a wild bird, when that bird hits the ground, let's say it's a crippled pheasant, you better have a dog on it because it's by the time it gets up in front of you 20 30 yards and you knock it down it's already got that head start on your dog and by the time that dog gets to your bird you know it's already running now if your dog steady wing shot you know through the flush and fall and everything your dog's still standing there well then it makes it just that much more difficult so but there's there's great aspects to all of it depending on what fits each individual's needs for me, like I said, I try to primarily focus on wild bird hunters. Uh, even field trialers, you know, like Nastra, UFTA, NUC, stuff like that, that's fine. But then you get into uh, different venues. There's all different kinds, like I said, you know, for master hunters, senior hunters, you know, whatever. Some people are in the horseback thing and stuff. But again, I'm trying to cater to uh, wild bird hunters. I know that you're breeding and you train for your idea of the perfect wild bird hunting dog. Uh, can, can you go into what that looks like for you as far as how you expect your dogs to handle in the field and how, how you expect them to hunt? Well, I mean, you know, there's different kinds of dogs. I think that there's, uh, you know, having, you know, close ranging dogs and some people's idea of a close ranging dog, you know, is 30 yards or, you know, something like that. And other people's idea of a close ranging dog would be, maybe a hundred. Again, we're talking bird dogs, so I use different dogs for different things, but I also believe in having good teams. So, like, depending on how we're hunting or what kind of cover or terrain we're hunting, uh, you know, I might have a dog hit a hundred yards, uh, you know, around here, maybe farther, uh, but the quail are so goosey now that, you know, if you have a dog very far out and it goes on point, I've literally watched them, dogs stand off 25 yards and watch quail fly out the other side of the hedgerow with no movement at all. They just, you know, the birds are goosey. Again, you have different dogs for different things. And, and uh, you know, like in Montana, for example, you know, I don't mind a dog really stretching out there, you know, 300, 400, 500 yards, uh, you know, especially out there under prairies and stuff. But again, it all depends on what kind of cover you're hunting and stuff like that. So if you're hunting thicker, heavier cover, then you might need a dog maybe to stay in closer. GPS systems have changed a lot of things in the hunting industry. So uh, the good thing about it, if you've got a dog that's solid and steady, you can just literally look at the GPS system and, you, and it'll tell you where your dog's at at all times. And even when we're pheasant hunting now, 
uh, in heavy, thick stuff. You know, as long as you've got a dog that you can trust, that knows how to pin a bird, for example, then all you've got to do is look at your GPS and it'll tell you that, you know, that that dog is down on point or whatever. Again, everybody has a different hunting uh, philosophy. Uh, for me, like I said, I, I like letting the dog get out there some and, and, uh, but on occasions, I've got to tone them or whatever and make that dog staying tighter, depending on how tight the birds are setting or, you know, or not. So, For somebody that might be listening to this that is interested in getting into bird dogs, haven't been around a lot of different breeds. I know that you've worked with and do work with multiple different breeds. How would you compare short hairs to most of the other bird dog breeds? Well, I am fond of GSPs, but again... It boils down to the breeding. Not all dogs are created equal. That's not just in GSPs or short hairs, as people call them, but it's in any breed. So I just look at dogs kind of like people. You know, I wasn't meant to be a doctor. I was meant to do this. I believe this is what God gave me. Uh, I think he had a plan all along. I truly believe that with all my heart. I think that this business has grown due to the fact that He's in my life, and he's definitely changed my life because I couldn't have said that eight, nine years ago. But again, <clears throat> he is the sole factor for me being able to provide for my family and, and produce a good dog and, and train, uh, you know, well for my clients and stuff like that. You know, as far as this business goes, you know, God is the number one factor for me for this whole thing. You know, I have been blessed. And, and again, the way I feel about Christ is I think going to generate and reverberate back to all my clients. I want to make sure I do a good job and do right for people uh, and give them a good product. You know, that's that's a huge thing for me. And and it's through my works or deeds and, you know, me telling people about Christ, then uh, they're going to get a great product for me because I don't want to do anybody wrong. But as far as the GSPs goes and, and, and let's say other breeds or whatever, there's great breeds and all breeds. Uh, I've trained a lot of dogs over the years and, you know, everything from poodle pointers to wire hairs, griffons, vizlas, wire haired vizlas, Brittany's, setters, English pointers, you name it. Uh, especially a lot of versatile breeds, versatile breeds meaning wire hairs, vizlas, GSPs, you know, things of that nature. Uh, and to me, a versatile breed is typically more of what I consider to be a thinker. So a thinker, you know, you can get into trouble with if you're not careful, if you don't know what you're doing, because, you know, they overthink things. It's not that the gunshot hurt them, but rather in their mind it did. And everything with a dog is psychological. It's not, again, that you hurt them. But once you get that psychological thing started in their mind or whatever, then it's like, okay, now you've got to figure out, okay, what cause is, how can I fix this what can i do to make this better and it's about going forwards and going backwards and knowing how to do things you know and we've had several dogs like that i mean i break dogs from being gun shy you can't save them all but a good majority of them i have been able to that being said you know there's again there's great breeds all of these dogs are great breeds it boils down to what you want in a dog and again, not all dogs are created equal. So a lot of people say, say to themselves, well, I want a GSP, a German Shorthair Pointer, because it's so beautiful. They just are so awesome looking. Well, that's great. But I also want a family dog. Well, they go and buy one. Next thing you know, it's tearing up the house, you know. 
I just saw a post of two GSPs that live in the house together and they're fighting. Showed a picture of the dog's face swollen up and stuff. Again, it's in the breeding. That's what people need to think about foremost. Not every dog is created equal. And there are plenty of people out there breeding dogs. But I would suggest that you really do your homework and you make sure, you know, that you're getting what you're paying for. You know, and that comes along with guarantees on not only hunting, but health as well, or vice versa. Because a lot of people will give you a health guarantee, but they won't give you a hunting guarantee. Okay? And again, that's knowing your genetics, your backgrounds, and having dogs for year after year after year. That's not going out and buying bow to breed to Mandy. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You might produce the best dogs in the world, but again, you may not. So, point of the matter, there is something said for having dogs and lines and keeping the best of the best of the best. And for anybody out there, that's how I would suggest doing it. If you've got a great dog, and it's been a great dog, you know, also knowing bloodlines, how to line up bloodlines and stuff, uh, you know. And then also look at genetic traits, you know, as far as health and, you know, stuff like that. It all has a factor. Me, just starting where I started from i'm a bird dog guy i grew up bird hunting so that being said i just bred great noses to great noses great retrieves to great retrieves water work to water work high tails good heads etc that's what i was about so uh, this is not to knock any breed because in my opinion they're all good because i've seen good in all of them but again i like gsps due to the fact that to me, uh, they're a little more, you know, easy to, to train and, you know, they catch on quicker. Uh, and again, but that doesn't pertain to all of them. I've had soft dogs in here too. So, but overall, I would say uh, GSPs are, are my favorite due to the fact that they're easier to train. They're natural. Uh, just really a good all-around dog in land, water, family. Are there any specific lines in the GSPs that you seem to prefer and have had best luck with? Well, again, the lines that I've stuck with are really old lines. I do have to go out and get some other lines, you know, here and there. But, again, those are dogs that I bring in that have the same characteristics and traits that I've had in the past. So it's good tail sets, good heads, you know. Uh, we don't want plotters. We don't want dogs just walking in front of us. Typically, the dog that just walks in front of you, you know, isn't. Uh, going to find as many birds as a dog that's out there a little ways. Now, when I say out there a little ways, you know, again, that could be at 30 yards, 40 yards, up to, you know, four or 500 yards or whatever. Uh, typically, a lot of people don't hunt with dogs out that far, but there are those that do. So, but the lines that I've started off with, which are, like I said, Dixieland Rusty, Hustler, you know, things of that nature, are Boss Man, Coon Ass, all these dogs... Uh, uh, have have been a great asset and 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 you know especially the rusty dogs for me uh, you know I just loved them they ran light on their feet and you know had great noses and stuff but when I crossed them over onto the hustler that seemed to be really a cross of a lifetime made really super nice natural dogs very early coming on dogs uh, again I was able to shoot birds over these pups at crazy ages and stuff and i'm still doing it today i mean we've got puppies lots of puppies out here that are you know we're shooting birds over here at uh 
four and a half months old, retrieving the hand, collar condition. Matter of fact, I've got, uh, I believe, six or seven puppies ordered right now that way. You know, they're going to get them at five to five and a half months of age when they'll pick them up. So, John, how many dogs do you keep here? For my own self, for my breeding program, we keep around 40 dogs. That being said, there are several that are old. Uh, they haven't been bred in years. And there are several dogs out there that haven't been bred and stuff. Uh, but it's about the lines. Again, it's about the genetics. And I have, uh, I believe, seven different stud dogs out there. But again, it's all about lining up the particular dogs uh, to other dogs, you know, because I can't very well, let's say, breed man to, you know, a daughter of his. So I've got to have dogs like my Duke, which is High Plains Desperado, which is a grandson, to Princess Snake-Eyed Romeo. Uh, Snake-Eyes is a dog that I turned down a lot, a lot, a lot of money for several years back. But again, I felt like if I'd have sold him, I would have jeopardized my uh, breeding program. So the money wasn't as big a factor or issue as it was, you know, keeping, being able to give my clients what they deserve as far as puppies or dogs and stuff. And uh, there's a lot of dogs out there that, you know, have his genetics. And, you know, currently man seems to be the, the dog that is a hot dog as far as people wanting his puppies and stuff. And they're seeing how natural they are and how light they run. And they're great, uh, can be a great uh, foot hunting dog as well as a great, depending on it, the individual, it could be a great uh, field trial dog. So we, we seem to have a lot more demand, at least uh, for some more field trial dogs uh, since I've had him in the program, breeding program, but they've got to earn their way. Uh, not every dog is going to stay in this kennel. There's there's plenty of dogs that will be, um, you know, great for somebody else. And I've sold a lot of great dogs that I personally wished I could have kept. But, again, I'm in the business to, you know, sell dogs and stuff like that. So I'm trying to keep the best of the best, the best females, high tails, good heads, natural retrieves. Again, I can't stress it enough. Uh, everything is about natural, natural, natural to me. And I believe that if I can't provide my clients with a natural retriever and a good nose and stuff, then I'm only giving them half of a dog. I've only done my job partially. It's, you know, it, it's really a huge thing for me. I don't, uh, I can't stress it enough. So, On that same note, how many dogs do you normally keep uh, as far as clients' dogs for training? I usually keep around 12 dogs here for clients' dogs. We don't have that many right now. I've literally way down because I needed time to focus on my dogs and the puppies and stuff and getting them trained for other clients and stuff. Right now, we've literally only got, you know, I believe three training dogs in. Currently, we've got one being picked up today. Uh, but, you know, we will keep 10, 12 around here for uh, clients that we're training on and Jumping back over to the uh, to the breeding side, uh, this is a question that I've kind of kind of pondered on, rolled around in my head a little bit. Uh, have you seen a correlation between physical traits, uh, as far as the way a dog looks, like say a say you you breed a man to a female and a pup comes out looking just like man? Uh, do you see normally uh, that that pup would tend to have more of man's traits than one that say was out of the same litter that didn't look as much like him? Maybe that, that favored the the female or is the, the physical not have much to do with the actual hunting attributes? Well, again, that's why I have several different stud dogs and several different females because, again, there is an advantage, believe it or not, 
there is an advantage to having several different dogs and I know these dogs and their bloodlines and I know what they do and etc I know their quirks I know their characteristics uh, you know on all these different things so again depending on the female you know and depending on the male that's how I breed you know in other words if I've got a dog let's say that would be a little short on retrieving now, why would I want to breed that to another dog that's maybe not good at retrieving? Might look good, whatever. Might be great on birds. But why would I possibly want to breed a not-so-good retriever to another not-so-good retriever? Mm -hmm. What I breed to man, I'm very picky about what I breed to man. And a lot of those dogs that I'm breeding to man are the dogs that have, you know, let's say Princess Snake-Eyed Romeo in that line. Well, if you know the dog like I did... He ran light on his feet. He had a great head. His tail set wasn't quite as high as I'd like. It is about, you know, what we call 11 o'clock, you know, something like that. But, again, they were natural retrievers. They were very intelligent dogs. They were very early coming on. So, again, what I'm doing is I cross that back over on the man. Why do I do that? Because man is the same way. Now, what does man offer that snake eyes didn't offer? Well, snake eyes didn't retrieve out of water. Man is a strong retriever out of water. Okay. Uh, snake Eye's tail wasn't as high as man's. Man has a straight up 12 o'clock tail. So what I'm seeing and what I'm getting now is I'm getting dogs that have a higher tail set. They run just like I want them, nice and light on their feet uh, with little effort. Uh, still have that beautiful head on them. Uh, but I am seeing those traits. They, they really do like... I've had people literally you know, on Facebook or whatever, say, John, that looks like your dog. You know, somebody posts a picture of a dog. that John, that looks like one of your dogs. Because there are traits, you know, that you'll see genetically, uh, you know, in, in different dogs or whatever. But, again, I'm very picky about how I cross man, just like your female that you brought to me. Well, we picked another dog rather than man to breed your female. And, again, I'm picky. So... There are things, you know, that, that I don't want to see in dogs and stuff that other people don't care about, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I'm just picky. So, and again, that goes, since I'm picky, that's, that's going to translate over to the client because my pickiness is going to give you a better dog. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, what advice would you have for someone that's wanting to make a cross like myself? Maybe they don't have access to a John Prince an hour up the road. Uh, but what what advice would you have for someone like that wanting to make a cross for themselves to, to have some dogs to hunt or if someone was looking at getting into this business themselves like, like you did? Well, everybody's got to start from somewhere. And more than anything, I'd say it's trial and error. Again, you could buy the top dogs in the country. I mean, uh, they could have the best pedigrees in the world. And then you get two of them together, and they might produce the best dogs in the world, and they may not. You know, and the only way you're going to know that is through trial and error. You know, again, I am about natural ability. You know, I'm, you know, I want a good-looking dog when he runs. I want a good-looking dog in the kennel. But on top of being good-looking, they've got to be natural. They've got to be have a nose. You know, if you have a nose but no brain, what good is a nose? If you mm -hmm. have a brain but no nose, what good is a brain? You know. If you've got a dog that's not natural on retrieving, for example, which not all my dogs are, but I'll guarantee you probably at least 85 to 90% are, 
even then, like I said, if you've got a dog that is not a natural retriever, what do you have to do? You've either got to live with that dog not being a natural retriever, okay, and then the dog drops your bird, and then it runs off, and then you're upset because you can't find it, or you've got to have that dog force broke to retrieve, which in turn costs you more money. Now, if you're a field trailer, typically most field trailers will have them force broke anyway. It's just you, you've got to ensure yourself a retrieve there because that boils down to points. Okay, but again, for the average person out there that's just trying to, you know, breed, you know, it's really trial and error. And, and again, I'll go back to this and I'll say it again. I believe that God had a plan for me. I believe that uh, he put these dogs in my life for a reason. And uh, he knew that it was probably one of the only jobs that I could do and do well and be happy at. And then also that translate or rolls over to my clients because you're in turn going to be happy, you know. At least that's what I try to do, so. You got any good stories from your time of field with your dogs? I know you do go wild bird hunting quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, we just got back from Kansas, and I just had really good hunt with some friends <clears throat> out there, Trent McAtee and Jerry Anderson, and really good guys, and, and um, that's who I try to associate with, being around good people. And, uh, you know, Trent's been buying dogs from me for a lot of years, and that's how we met, and... I've had a lot of offers to go on hunts and fishing trips and stuff, and I've had to turn a lot of them down due to the fact, you know, that I'm busy here. We did go to Montana again this year, had a great hunt. I'll be heading off to Arizona and Texas here in just a week, uh, but we'll be hunting in Arizona. I've hunted Idaho, uh, Oregon uh, for chuckers and valley quail and stuff, and, and you know, if you're a bird hunter, uh, you just live for this stuff, and that's the whole thing about it is these dogs keep me going you know I, I don't really plan to ever to retire uh, you know I won't have as many dogs but again I plan on doing this hopefully to close to the day I die you know and it's just really been a ride it's been met a lot of great people uh, a lot of friendships developed over the years uh, you know there's a lot of people out there that you know are competing with my dogs and Nucks and UFTA and stuff like that and and they've had great success and so that makes me happy that you know that's what their heart's desire was was to have a dog that they could win with um you know and that's their thing and there's so many other people that don't care about that and they're just bird hunters for example and that's their hearts that's what they want and again that makes me happy as well the whole goal for me is to make sure that everybody gets what they pay for that's the bottom line I have people sometimes bring a dog back to me for whatever. We had a client that his wife got very ill, and he asked me if I would buy the dog back, and nothing wrong with the dog whatsoever. I said, yes, absolutely. Well, now a new owner owns that dog, and he's just in love with him. I mean, from the first time he took him out, he said uh, he took him to a hunting lodge and um, in Kansas. I believe he's from Kentucky, but... He took the dog there to a high-end lodge, and uh, the guys were just ranting and raving over. And, you know, again, I'm about trying to make, you know, bending over backwards if we can to make people happy and give them a product that they deserve. But as far as relationships and stuff, made a lot of good friends. We've shipped dogs all over the country, out of the country, uh, as far as Bahrain, in between Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Um, we've had people fly in from Alaska and flying from all over the country and drive in. We just had a client that drove 17 hours nonstop in from uh, uh, Idaho, or no, Utah, I believe it was. 
17 hours and and he let me uh, start his puppy on the puppy train and he's super excited and happy matter of fact his pup is so nice i said you may not even need to bring him back i mean that's two weeks of training and i'm just being honest with him i don't want to take his money if he wants to bring him back i can go ahead and finish him and we'll break him all this other stuff but the pup literally would hold a bird through the flush everything go get the bird and bring it back to my hand. Collar condition, hair broke. But he'd hunt like an adult dog. That's not out of my breeding. That was somebody else's breeding. So it was a great product that guy got. Now, this first dog was from me. And I had trained it. I had finished the dog. That's why he drove 17 hours back to me. But again, while he was out there, he bought another dog from somebody else. And it was a great pup. Nice pup. You've talked a lot about breeding for natural ability and uh, how important that is to you. A little story about whenever I actually came and picked up the pup that we bought from you. I'd brought my wife and uh, my, at the time, two-year-old little boy. We went out here to the, out in the field, and you had two different female pups. And I don't believe you were actually here at the time, but your helper, Dennis, was. He grabbed a quail, pulled the feathers off one wing, pitched it out there, and and uh, he let the one we got. He let it out, and it went over. It didn't point, but it jumped the quail, and which it was I think a 10-week-old puppy at the time. It ran out, caught the quail, and then immediately brought it and just naturally didn't even say anything. Naturally brought it and retrieved it right to my two-year-old's hand. Right. And Dennis looked at me and said, well, well, there's your dog. That's the one you want. I don't, yeah. even, don't even know why we need to get the other one out of the box, which we did, and we looked at the other one, but we ended up taking that first one, but just naturally at 10 weeks old, just retrieved right back like it should. And then I believe when she was two, a year and a half or two years old, uh, we were pheasant hunting in Kansas, knocked a bird down. It took off. Well, it landed in some thick some thick shrubby grass. Mm-hmm. I went over there, and I was looking for it. And, well, I, I wasn't paying that much attention to the dog because she kind of ran over there and kind of went off. And I was I was kicking around in the grass looking for where I thought it went down. I pulled my Garmin out, and it said she was like 160 yards away. Hmm. And uh, this dog hadn't really seen very many pheasants at this point. I thought, well, that's kind of kind of weird. She don't know what she's doing over there, but okay. And so I kick around a minute longer, and look at my garment again and well she was coming back she popped up over the rise of the hill and she was coming back with a rooster in her mouth <laughs> and if uh she brought it, returned it to hand and if i'd have let it go it ran off again oh yeah uh, i was very impressed with that retrieve i know it was at least 155 yards yeah i remember a guy that uh, he had bought a, a pup from me a long time ago little female and uh, he's you know fairly close to us i believe over around independence kansas and he had told me he had went hunting with that little dog she's i don't know five months six months something like that and he had lost his glasses somehow and he said that little female came back went and found his glasses he was looking all around she found his glasses and brought his glasses to him <laughs> <laughs> saved him some money yeah yeah we well, got any other good hunting stories yeah i can i can tell you a good hunting story i used to guide a lot of hunts uh at an orvis endorsed lodge and uh this is way back when and I had Prince's I Saw the Light, and I had three guys I was guiding, and we were hunting pheasants, and and the thing about that place is that we'd release a lot of birds, so the birds that were released were almost like wild birds. We were with one guy there, and he was, he'd hunted all over Orvis and Doris Lodges, etc., and he's from Indiana, I believe, and, and uh, or North Carolina. You know, he was just a gung-ho guy. He was just really into shooting the birds, and his other good friends were, you know, just so-so. But anyways, my dog got on a hot scent of a pheasant. And I said, we were on standing on top of a hill, and my dog, I mean, that tail just was cracking. And I could always read him. And uh, he was on that scent. And I said, does anybody want to follow this dog, you know, to 
you know, get this pheasant. And the one guy spoke up, I will. I said, okay. So me and his two buddies stood up there on the hill. And uh, we watched, and I told him, I said, listen, I said, as this scent gets hotter, that tail's going to start going faster. He said, okay. So anyways, my dog trailed this running rooster probably, uh, an estimation, 300 yards, you know, maybe a little less, I don't know. But there was a big clump of grass way down at the bottom of that hill. And my dog goes on point. And the wind had probably blown about 30 miles an hour. And the guy walks on the other side of the grass. And my dog is standing there. Solly was standing there. And this pheasant walks out to his left. And he sees my dog on point. My dog doesn't budge. My dog can see the bird, and the bird saw him. Well, the bird got up and flew in the wind, and this guy made a heck of a shot. I mean, you know, really a heck of a shot. My dog went and got the bird, brought it to him, and he walked back up the hill towards me and his two buddies. And he came up and he said, uh, i got to tell you something. He said, that's the finest dog I've ever hunted behind in all the years that I've been hunting. And I've hunted at a lot of Orvis and Doris Lodges. So, and I said, thank you. And so the one thing, again, about the job is that it's very rewarding. Again, I really didn't have a factor. I'm going I'm to give everything to Christ. And uh, I just believe that he's, he knew my heart's desire. And I know a lot of people, young people out there, it might be your desire also. You know, for all you guys that are wanting to start kennels or maybe wanting to do this, you know, I applaud you. It's not all gravy. Uh, again, not everybody's able to just build a big old kennel, you know, because you don't have the land or whatever, because there's a lot more to it than just getting two dogs together and breeding. You know, again, it's taken me a long time to get to where I'm at. Over 33 years now, going on 34 years of this, you know, we, we've got, you know, people that work for us here and stuff. And again, it's been a great ride. And it's very, very, very rewarding, you know, because more than anything, you get Christmas cards, you get letters, you get you know, thank yous and, you know, all kinds of things. So for anybody out there that's, you know, has a dream or passion, wants to start this, you know, again, I applaud you. I'm here to help people. I don't have time to maybe help as many people as I'd like to, you know, things of that nature. There's opportunities out there for people to to go ahead and uh, do this. And I think, you know, there's a lot of videos out there, you know, different people have different videos, which shows you, uh, you know, how to do certain things or whatever. But again, the videos don't show everything. There's so much that needs to be learned besides that a video can't show you. For example, how to read a dog, uh, when you should do this or shouldn't do that, or when you should back up or go forward. If it was all easy, then everybody would probably do it, you know. But it's not as easy as it seems. But again, you know, if you have the passion, the desire, the know-how, knowledge, you know, being able to read a dog and, and access to plenty of birds, uh, etc., then you should be able to do it. I don't see any reason why a person couldn't. John, how can someone get in touch with you as far as if they want to talk about getting a pup or, or maybe have some dog training done? And how do they find you on social media? Well, uh, social media, you can find me on Facebook uh, under... Uh, Princess Quality Gun Dogs. We've got a website, uh, www.princessqualitygundogs. You know, my telephone number's on there, on the website as well. I'm here to help. You know, again, I ask questions uh, from my clients, potential clients. I'm not just here to sell a dog. I'm here to, you know, 
help you get what you deserve. Uh, there's over 200 testimonials about me. Uh, people have written down over the years, and, and there's stuff, Google or whatever. But, again, I'm here to help, and uh, I'm happy to answer questions. I'm really a wealth of knowledge, you know, because a lot of years of experience has given me that. And I may not have an answer for everything, but I promise you it'll be fair and honest. Again, I am here to help. So, John, just want to thank you for agreeing to do this show and coming on here and sharing some knowledge with all of us. Just want to say thank you again for from from me and my whole audience. Well, I appreciate that, Colby. I'm glad to help you out a little bit there, and I hope this pays off for you. You know, and maybe it'll pay off for me too. We'll see. All right. Well, everybody, take care and keep wearing out that boot leather. There you go. Thank you. I just want to give everyone that's listening a sincere thank you. Getting this podcast going has been a project. I really hope you're enjoying it, and if you don't mind, give the show a good rating and review wherever you're listening to it at, or share it on your social media to help get some traction. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to your feedback.